Good morning. Glad you're here on this Labor Day burning hot weekend. <laughs> I mowed the lawn, took a shower, went out to lunch with some folks yesterday and sweated the whole lunchtime. It was unbelievable how it's been. Well, I've been waxing nostalgic lately. I tried to say that in the first service, had a lot more trouble with it than than this one, but <clears throat> as the 20th anniversary gets closer, talking to old friends who are, you know, responding to the invitation and thinking about all the changes in the congregation through the years. This message series, what we're doing is we're looking at some backdrop emphases that have shaped our style over over the years. And we, we've changed a lot. We've had a lot of changes. We, we've met in, I would guess, 10 plus different places, some some of them not intentionally. We were locked out one week, and uh, we, we went to the junior high. We were locked out, like, oh, no, what do we do? Well, hey, there's some bleachers at the park. So we actually went to this park right down here and met in the bleachers. We weren't as big as we are now. We wouldn't all fit in the bleachers. But a friend of mine who was part of the congregation for a long time, he said, all right, this is the Sermon on the Mound and I was I was on the field. The, the congregation was on the bleachers. The kids had a great time. This used to be a, a play park for the kids up here where this building is. So they loved it. I mean, it all worked out. You know, we were able, even even in the midst of the, the quick change, to accomplish what God really was asking us to accomplish. So we've been through a lot of changes, a uh, lot of difference. I think that the worship service has been... It's it's probably the most public part of a church. It's not. It's really not the the biggest part of church life. It's just it's just a, a little way that we can see what's going on. And there have been a lot of changes here. We we started out just a Bible study actually in a home, and then we met in the Shiloh Inn uh, for a while. And we were our first few times together as a bigger group of like twenty. Um, we didn't even have music. And then one of the guys on the launch team sort of played the guitar. <clears throat> so we thought, hey, let's try some, let's try some music, you know. And so he, he led worship one week and we mutually decided after that he should never do that again. <clears throat> and he didn't. He was relieved and I was grateful that he was that humble <laughs> to not care if he was up front or not. I really appreciated that. So we've gone from that to the band we have and the band changes. You know, a lot of different places we've met, a lot of changes, a lot of people have come and gone. Right now, we're we're in a little bit of mourning. Josh and Erica are gone and the launch team. It, it just seems very different to us. Josh played a big part in church life here and Erica and the and actually the we sent a bunch of leaders off. I mean, we didn't actually send uh, you know, the people who weren't carrying loads, we sent people who were carrying a load. So those of us who are left, we're dealing with the change and the transition and trying to figure out how all that works. But the interesting thing is that through all the changes, God brings people around, he moves them on. There are some principles that we've been trying to focus on. There's there's a actually a little quote on the um front of your, the top of your listening guide there. I don't know who said that. I heard it a while back. But it, it's, it says, I believe methods are many, principles are few. 
Methods never change. I mean, methods often change. Principles never do. Let me get it right, okay? Principles never change. Methods often do. In this series, what we're looking at are the underlying emphases that have shaped us as a congregation. They come out of Scripture. Our mission has shaped us. Our, the, what we call the heart attitudes, which are seven statements about how we choose to relate to one another. And when there are problems or snags, we decide to go through that. That's helped shape us. Um, there, there are some, so the, these emphases are principles and foci. That's a pretty good word. I just thought of that one. Foci. Um, I didn't think of it. I just thought to say it. I didn't make it up, I don't believe. But anyway, I'm having a lot of fun. I hope you guys are enjoying yourself as well. Uh, because you don't say focuses. That's what I was about to say. And then I realized it's foci. Um, but anyway, we've been, these, these have been, <laughs> these have been things that we focused on. There, that's better. As, and they've really shaped us. And so we, you, the way we look, what we're doing, we might be in the bleachers <laughs> having a worship service, or we might be in, in, a, in a, a meeting trying to plan some things or in the office. But these, these things cut across the board. They, they shape us, the way we think about church life and what we're trying to accomplish as a group together. So today we're going to look at two more emphases. Last week we looked at number one and two which are we're trying to grow all the members in Christ likeness and we're trying to introduce adults primary, primarily to Christ, that our mission flows out of those things. Number three is this. Members take responsibility for the ministry and the pastoral staff are players and coaches who equip others. So the staff, we do ministry, but also our job is really to equip the members who have been given the ministry by the Lord. As you come to Christ, what God wants you to do is he wants you to um, be connected and contributing to a local body of believers. And that plays into your growth. That's, that's one of the key factors in your growth as a believer. Once you decide to turn around, go God's way, he wants you to plug in, connect, and contribute if our aim as a group is to be a social club, then we can all do what we want. But if we have a mission that we're trying to, to accomplish, we need to pull together and move ahead to accomplish that mission. So it's crucial that we all take our role seriously. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says his gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in the scripture, what you find is leaders, church leaders, prepare and members minister. Now, we tend to think you need a graduate degree to, to minister. But the truth is, you, you, ministry is not related to education. Ministry is related to your understanding, uh, your relationship to God. If you have a relationship with him, you can minister to people. And it, really, the word means serve. 
in the, in the Greek, the word <clears throat> means just basically to serve. It's diak- diakonos is the Greek word that the New Testament was written in originally. And it just means to serve. And we serve by meeting needs, helping others come to know Christ. We set out to help others in that way. If you look at Jesus' ministry, you dig into the Gospels, you find out that he helped people. And starting out in ministry, the only thing they could do is explain what Jesus had done. You see that with the woman at the well. She was being questioned about her talk with Jesus. She said, he told me everything about myself. He really helped me figure some things out. He pointed me in the right direction. She, she just started telling what Jesus had done, a, a man that he healed, a blind man. He said, I don't know who he is or what he is. I can only tell you this. I, I used to be blind, but now I can see life in living color. So he, at, at first he was just talking about what, what God had done. And ministry means, if, if you're going to take your ministry seriously, it only means that you accept the responsibility to help people as God brings them into your path. And as a part of this congregation, you, you're willing to take responsibility to, to, to serve and to help us pull together to accomplish the mission that we've been assigned. I, uh, we used to, when we first started, I had a lot to learn about leadership. Once we got bigger, uh, once the group here got bigger than would fit in my living room, I was organizationally challenged. <laughs> I mean, that was about the size of experience I had. And when we started out, we used to play... Sometimes people would play hot potato with responsibility with me. I'd ask them to do something like be a greeter or, you know, there was nobody else to ask, so I got to do it. And uh, so I asked them to be a greeter or whatever, and, and Sunday would roll around, ask them to be there at 9.30 or whenever to, to greet. They wouldn't show up. And so I'm out there greeting everybody. Wasn't a lot of people. I could do it, but, you know, I'm out there greeting people. And so they dropped the ball. They dropped the potato. Actually, they threw it back at me. Well, this is your thing, Randy. You know, you do it. And, and when it's that size group, it's more understandable that it would seem like it was my thing. But you know what? As, as God is in something, as he's building a congregation, what he does is he, he hands out responsibility to pull forward together to all kinds of people. And part of following Christ is, you accept that responsibility. And, and many times you start out at a certain level, and if you're faithful with that, God gives you more responsibility. And through the responsibility, he grows you. Like public speaking. I would not, if, if you had sign-ups for public speaking, I would, not, I would not go forward and sign up for that. It's a stretch for me. I'm, I'm shy. I'm introverted. But boy, what God has done as I've over the years had to articulate truths and, and things about my relationship with God to a group of people. He, the stretch has developed me, and, and that's what happens. Ministry builds you up and brings purpose to life. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to explain what God's been doing in you and be willing to serve. And as you do that, boy, there's meaning to life, much more meaning and purpose than otherwise, because you're involved. The Scripture says that God has set eternity in our hearts. So there's an eternal aspect to our, hun- our understanding of life, and it's deep into our hearts that God has set it. So when you're involved in something that makes a difference in the lives of people for eternity, 
It resonates with you. And you realize, this is what I was made to do. The other stuff's important. Work is important. You may have a good job you really enjoy. A friend of my son's was a starting pitcher for the New York Yankees yesterday. That's a pretty good job. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, you only work every four or five days. <laughs> and it pays really well if you could stay there, you know. He had a good game, so we're rejoicing. He went to USC. He was a Trojan. So this part of the room might enjoy that. Um, but... Um, he, that's amazing. It's amazing. I, and we were happy for him. And that's, that's something that a lot of people in our country strive for. But in the end, what you do for work is important to God. He wants you to do it well. He wants you to do it with excellence. And there's a lot of satisfaction in that. But it's nothing like the sense of purpose and reality that resonates when you're able to help somebody come to know Christ when you're able to meet them where they, they have a need, like Jill was talking about in, in her testimony on the video. Just when, when you're able to extend yourself, to get outside of yourself, to serve someone or to give or to really help them where they're at, and you, you're, you're a connector. You help people connect to somebody that helps them or you help them yourself. Boy, there's, there's a depth to the joy that you experience in that that you will not find, even if you're starting for the New York Yankees. You just won't find it. It won't be there. There's, this is what God made us to do. This is where the, the real zip in life is, as we set out to do what he's called us to do. Second emphasis we're looking at today is accomplishing biblical results and changing the way we do things in order to achieve them. Um, you know, Jesus was incredibly kind and gracious to everybody that he related to, except one group of people, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were hypocrites, and he laid into these people. These guys, he laid into them several times. He scorched them with his words. It was way out of character, and and there's a reason he did, and I think we can learn some things from them, so I want to look at at least one statement he made to them, and try to pull out of that how this relates to this emphasis that we have, accomplishing biblical results and changing the way we do things to achieve them. There is a problem with Pharisees. Their problem is something that humans and their organizations struggle with. What we want to do is we want to set up a system and work it especially in religion, because if we set up a system and we work it, it requires less of us to make it happen. So less energy and less focus are required if we just come up with a system that we can work. And this is what Jesus said in Luke 11.42 to the Pharisees. Pharisees were religious leaders of, of the day in Judaism. And they had set up this system. And, and what he says is, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter. You should have done the tenth without leaving the former undone. So these guys were, they had their rules. They had their regulations. And if you get into the Old Testament, a tithe or a tenth is what God asks the, the Jewish folks to give to, to his work and to him. 
And so they were so committed to following the laws that they even gave a tenth of their, they went into their, their pantry and pulled out their spices and they measured them and gave a tenth of the spices to God, to, to the Levites to, who, who ran the temple. So they, they were pretty committed to carrying out all the regulations. And there's something in us, at least there's something in me, I don't know about you, that I think it's a ton easier to figure out what 10% of my stuff is. I can get the calculator out, I can look at my checking account or my, my, my check, and I can figure out 10%, I can figure out how that, that works. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to work out justice in my relationships with people, or the love of God. How does the love of God translate? How do I show these folks the love of God? You know, there's some dilemmas, there's some sticky situations, and it's a lot harder, and it's it's really scarier. If I can just come up with a system that I can work, then I don't really have to think about or step out of my comfort zone to really help and bless the people around us. This This mindless approach of, putting together a formula or a system that we can work, it hurts families because we go through life and we're not really showing consideration to the people around us. We're just trying to do what's expected or what we think needs to be done. And it really hurts people. That's the problem with the Pharisees. So in church life, we don't want to lose sight of the the purpose. We don't want to lose sight of people. And build things around ourselves. We want to really bless the people that God has put around us. Because a mindless approach, just doing what's always been done, hurts people. It's going to hurt you in your work. It's going to hurt us here in the ministry. You can't just call it in. You can't just get it down and then call it in. You've got to trust God, move forward. Try to figure out how this truth applies to that situation and, and move forward. So the problem with the Pharisees is that they have a wrong focus. Focus on rules, not relationships. Wrote, not necessarily real. Jesus pointed this out in a couple other places when he talked about a pharisaical approach to life. You know, we need rules and policies. 60s proved that. (laughs) But it's wrong to let rules and policies squash people unnecessarily. In fact, my daughter just went on a mission trip to, to Mozambique with an organization that has all kinds of rules and policies. And I personally, as a father, appreciated that. Because what it shows me is, and I know, I know some of the stories behind, behind some of the rules, but I know every rule that they put into place has a story behind it that where they learned that, okay, we can't do that. We can't let the crowd go that direction. It causes a lot of trouble. And as you're, as you're getting involved in, you know, a, an organization like that where there's a lot of risk, there's a lot of rules and policies. Sometimes it it it, it you know it doesn't make sense. You know you wonder where that came from. And some policies and rules wear out. You know you're doing them and you don't remember why you're doing them. And so they're necessary at one level. But if you take the policy and the rule and out of convenience squash somebody with it, that's wrong. And we're trying not to do that here. Like Jesus healed a person on a Sabbath one time. And the Pharisees jumped all over him because he worked on the Sabbath day. Now, does that make sense? It doesn't make a lot of sense because he was helping somebody. 
He blessed them. But no, no. That's the problem with these Pharisees. Oh, no, you know, he, he worked on the Sabbath. What is he thinking? That's horrible. And so they would, they would take their system and push people down with it. They wouldn't be concerned about the weightier matters, like loving people, loving God, doing justice, being righteous. Those things were set aside for this system. We've got to avoid that. And the longer you go in church life, it's easy to get into tradition and do things because you've always done them, and, and we are trying not to do that. These Pharisees, they focused on performance of these things, not purpose. And sometimes we try to boil down things into a formula so we can depend on ourselves to do the formula, and then we don't really have to trust God. And that's what that's the problem here. Life in the kingdom, life with, in a relationship with God requires faith, diligence and faith. And we have to focus on what God wants and keep trying to figure out how to do that before him in different situations. There is no formula that we can come up with. This is true individually, and it's, in, it's also true as, in a whole, as a whole in church life. Here's an example from, from the early church of how this works out in a group of people. Um, Galatians 2, 11 through 16, tells a story. Uh, actually, um, Paul is writing this. God wrote it down for our instruction. It's very helpful to us in figuring out how to go about life. But Peter was, actually, all of the early Christians were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. All of his disciples were Jewish. And then after Jesus died and went on uh, to heaven, he left the disciples. And then God began to try to move the group beyond the 12 disciples. Well, when he did that, he started trying to get to the rest of the world because he, wanted, he wants everybody to have a relationship with him. Well, to do that, the, the Jewish folks had to hang out with Gentile folks. And the Gentile folks, they ate. Stuff like bacon and sausage. You know, they didn't eat kosher food. And so there were some some problems. I mean, you can imagine how it is. You know how it is. You've gone your whole life and you've you've never done a certain thing. So you've gone your whole life, you've never eaten bacon. In fact, you were told growing up that it was wrong to eat bacon. And then you go to breakfast with some folks and they, they order up, you know, Bacon, ham, and eggs. They get the, the combo dish. And you're, and you're sitting there watching, you know, and you feel this distance and separation from the people. And that's what was going on. Well, when, when God wanted to get the group beyond the Jewish folks who had been following Jesus, he went to Peter and he gave him a specific word that all food was clean. You could eat whatever you want. If it looks good to you, go for it. It's okay. And... What happened is the gospel, the message about Christ, began to spread beyond the Jewish group. And so Peter was okay with that as long as he was with the Gentiles. But here's what happened. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, they were coming from Jerusalem, the heart of Judaism. He used to eat with the Gentiles. In other words, he'd sit down and have some bacon and eggs with them because God made it clear that that was okay. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged 
to the circumcision group. That's the group that thought the Gentiles now who have come to Christ need to start living by the law. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led, led astray. Barnabas, very encouraging guy. Even Barnabas was led astray by this system that they were trying to impose on the people that had come to Christ. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, that's an important phrase. I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ. In other words, you can eat what you want to. You don't have to follow the laws. You just need to trust you need to trust God. And what God's going to do is he's going to lead you. If you follow him and get into the word, he's going to lead you to live differently. But you're not living differently because it's this system that you're using to feel good about yourselves and try to please God you're, uh, all, all because of you. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one would be justified. Basically, what Peter's saying is, or what Paul's saying to Peter is, you need to live what you believe. You need to, you need to live like you're saying you believe. You're, you're, you're saying this, but you're not really coming through with it. The principle is you let go of tradition when it clashes with the truth. And we're creatures of habit. We like, I like ruts. I like tradition. I like to do the same things because there is a mindlessness to some of it, and some of it's necessary. You know, you, you learn how to do the laundry, and, you, you know, you don't want to have to think about it every time. So you, you just do it the same way. You fold clothes. Say, there, that, that's necessary to aspects of life. But when tradition in these matters clashes with the truth, you let go of tradition, and that's what we're trying to do as a congregation. The application for us is don't set things on autopilots. Try to stay current. I don't know if this is a true story. You may have heard it, but I heard about when cruise control first came out, I heard about a guy who bought a new RV, got up in the morning, headed out on the highway, set the cruise control, stepped in the back to, to cook breakfast. And and that's kind of what we want to do sometimes in relationships. He Obviously, it crashed. <laughs> but... That's what happens in relationships. It's what happens in church life when we go on autopilot. We don't want to stretch. We don't want to think about it. We just we just want to do what's comfortable. We want to work the formula. And we we struggle because of that. We, we don't want to change for change's sake here, but we want to accomplish our purpose. And to do that, we need to be flexible and aim to stay current. So what we try to do is focus on purpose not preference, on truth, not tradition. And we're going to flex and adapt to accomplish the results the Lord wants as we move forward as a congregation. Would you, would you pray with me before we move on in worship? Our Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word. It really does set us free. And you, you use it in our lives to, to change us. And you give us perspectives and you let the truth sink in and you make us different, God. As you've spoken this morning, I pray that you give us the ability to follow you, the, the strength to do your will.
And as you've brought 